Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to John chapter 3, which is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the back of the pew there in front of you. It's the black book there, uh, and you can follow along with us there by going through. There's a table of contents. If you're not familiar with where John is, it's in the New Testament. So if you look towards the bottom of the table of contents, it's one of the first four books in there. And so, um, and by the way, find the, the one that's John, not first, second, or third John, because those are the letters that he wrote later. We're looking for the Gospel of John that just says John, Okay. So as we're looking here in John chapter 3, we've been talking this morning already a lot about what it looks like to follow Jesus. We've uh, seen that through the picture that we had with baptism as we got to baptize Bailey and Stephen. And you heard how they made that decision to turn from their sin, to turn to following Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Now, remember, by the way, I love the fact that that Bailey gave her heart to Christ because Bailey's seven, right? Yeah, Some of you would sit there and think, well, what does a seven-year-old need to be saved from? Well, this morning, what we're going to see as we look through the book of John this morning is that there's one universal truth for all of us. Everyone in all of humanity needs to be born again if they're going to be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, this is terminology that's kind of old school. So if you have grown up kind of on the outside of church and you've heard people talk about being a born-again Christian or something like that, you're going to hopefully, by the time you leave today, understand where that comes from. Our goal is, as we look through this story in John chapter 3, this account of a man named Nicodemus, who was a religious leader of the Jews, who came to Jesus at night, Jesus explains to him what this new birth looks like. And so what we're going to see this morning, if you catch nothing else out of this message, is that whoever you are, no matter how young, no matter how old, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been in church, or if this is your first time ever hearing the gospel, you need to be born again by the Holy Spirit through belief in his Son. Now, those are like really big theological terms. So if I just lost you, I hope that as we go through the service this morning and as we look at God's word together, we're going to explain these things in such a way that they'll make sense to you, okay? Now, I also know that as I'm looking around at this room, I know a lot of you guys have been, had the privilege of being pastor here for 10 years, so I've walked with you for a while, and I know a lot of you may have made that decision to follow Christ. But I do want to challenge you this morning, especially as we look at the first part of this. You need to be able to answer without hesitation or reservation or any kind of equivocation. You need to be able to say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know I have been born again. Now, if you can't say that, my prayer is that by the end of the service today, you will be able to. And if that doesn't make any sense, hopefully it'll make sense by the time we're done. So let's go ahead and we're going to break this out into three different realities of this idea of this new birth that Jesus talks about. We're going to go through John 1 and, or excuse me, John 3 verses 1 through 21. We're not going to read all of them at once though. We're going to kind of pick up the story in pieces. So start with me here in chapter 3 verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders who knew the Bible really, really well, but they made everything about just what they could do on the outside. They were really good at do's and don'ts, but as you find throughout the Scripture, you figure out that their heart had never been changed. They just did it as an external thing to show people how good they were, and they thought that that would earn them brownie points with God. So Nicodemus is one of those Pharisees. He's a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2. This man came to him, talking about to Jesus, at night and said, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus asked the question that you might be asking if you're not familiar with this this passage. Verse 4, how can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, 
it cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now let's pause the story right there. The first straightforward truth that we find about these realities about the new birth is number one, the simple fact that you must be born again, okay? You must be born again. Going back to set the stage, remember I said we've got Nicodemus. Here is a ruler of the Jews. Remember, these guys didn't like Jesus. They didn't like what he was teaching. So it wasn't a really good idea for Nicodemus to go talk to him and have a good one-on-one conversation with Jesus during the day. So Nicodemus, under the cover of darkness, sneaks out and comes and meets Jesus there where he's staying. Now, that idea of darkness, by the way, is going to come up again when we get to the end of the message. Jesus is going to make a play off of that because he's this expert teacher that all of us would love to be like. But Nicodemus is kind of slinking through, and he comes in at night to be able to, uh, to, be able to show Jesus or to talk with Jesus one-on-one. He acknowledges that Jesus is a good teacher. He's done all these miracles, but he doesn't really know what that's all about. Now, Jesus' response in verse 3 seems completely out of left field, Right? He just says, hey, Rabbi, we know that you're a good teacher and and you couldn't do this unless God were with you. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm sorry, what? Now, when you look through the Old Testament, you see a lot of things about people being children of God. You you see a lot of things about Israel being uh, God's child and him being in charge of the nation and things like that. But honestly, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say anything about being born again. It talks about the idea of God changing your heart of stone for heart of flesh and things like that, but, but nowhere is the idea that you're going to be born again. So Jesus kind of comes out of left field with this one and totally confuses Nicodemus. By the way, we're going to see him do this for the next several weeks. He does it here. He does it in chapter 4. He does it in chapter uh, 5 or 6. He, he does it multiple times where he just kind of throws something out there and lets people get confused about it so he can create a teachable moment. Good thing to remember for those of us who are teachers, by the way. All right? So in Nicodemus' response to Jesus, you see that like most Pharisees, he's thinking mainly about physical realities and stuff. The Pharisees believed God did and that there were spiritual beings like angels and demons. But like I said, the Pharisees were all about the external. They made sure they followed all of the Jewish ceremonial laws about washing their hands before they eat and made sure that they did all of the external stuff so that people knew how righteous they were and they thought that it bought them brownie points with God. So Nicodemus' mind is, is on the externals already. And so when Jesus says, you have to be born again, Nicodemus responds and says, um, I'm sorry, what? How, how's that supposed to work? I'm an old man. How, how am, I supposed to, am I supposed to go back to my mother's womb? It's a crazy picture, right? But Jesus uses this to say, that's not what I'm talking about. He's not talking about a physical birth. In fact, here's what I, I need you to understand. Where you were born physically The family you're born into physically does not make you right with God. Now, we have had the privilege of being born in a country where there's a lot of people who follow Jesus. So much so that if you talk to folks from different countries, they'll say, well, you're a Christian because you're an American. Because that's what Americans are. Americans are Christians. Well, you may have even had a a mom or a dad or a grandma or a granddad who loved you and prayed for you and took you to church your whole life. But all of those things are physical birth. It's not enough just to be born into America as as a nation that's often been described as a Christian nation. Which, by the way, I might fight that a little bit, but that's a different can of worms for a different day. 
You're not a Christian just because you were born here in America. You're not a Christian because your dad was, because your grandma prayed for you. That's being born of the flesh. What did Jesus say about that? Well, we'll jump down there to verse, verse 7. Excuse me, verse 6. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Just because you were born in America, just because you were born into a a family that followed Christ, doesn't mean that you yourself are a believer. And that's why I want to be clear to everybody here. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been in church. You need to make sure that you personally are born again. It's not enough that your grandma prayed for you, although that's a wonderful thing to have a praying grandma. To escape. Mike and Linda Montgomery about a lot of servicemen and women that they have been around over the years that had a praying grandma back home that brought them to Christ. But for each and every single one of us, there comes a point where we must decide to follow Christ on our own. So have you done that? I struggle sometimes. I hear people and they're talking about their dad after he dies. And they'll say, my dad was a good Christian man. I worry about that phrase sometimes. I want my kids not to describe me as a good Christian man. I want my kids to describe me as having been passionately in love with Jesus. Because, see, there's good Christian men out there because they're like the Pharisees. They didn't drink, they didn't cuss, they didn't smoke, they took their family to church, they threw 20 in the plate every time it passed by or whatever. They were, they were a deacon, they were a Sunday school teacher, but those men may have never had a genuine relationship with Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Maybe they did, I don't know. But, but I want my kids to describe me as a man who radically loved Jesus with everything I had because I'd been born again. So have you been born again? A person must be born spiritually, which is a work that's carried out by the Spirit of God. When you're born again, the Spirit takes you from being spiritually dead and makes you alive. The Apostle Paul says that this makes you a totally new creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. All right, think about that for a second, guys. Some of you are so familiar with that verse, you got it painted on like a butterfly painting in your house, you know, or something like that, that, that it just fades into the background. You're not who you were before you followed Christ. When Bailey made that decision and prayed with her mom, God remade her into something new. When Stephen was sitting there in the coffee shop with me at Mill Mountain and he surrendered his life to Christ, God made him something new. When I was nine years old and walking down the back stairway at Main Street Baptist Church at 100 West Main Street, Christiansburg, Virginia, coming down on a Wednesday night, God made me a new creation. I'm not who I used to be. I've been made new. See, it's not just enough to have grown up in a Christian home. Have you made that decision to turn to following Christ? Have you been born again? See, God promised in the Old Testament that he would make people new. It just looked a little different in his promise. Ezekiel chapter 36, he said, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes carefully and observe my ordinances. See, see how this works, by the way? There's an order here. 
A lot of us think I'll do enough good stuff and I'll make God happy and then I'll be right with God and I can go to heaven. But go back to that verse for just a second, Alex. What did he say? I'll place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. What comes first? He puts his spirit within us. You get saved. You get born again. And then you have the power to be able to live out the Christian life. Then you can keep the commands. Then you can obey his ordinances. It's not a, I'll clean myself up, and, and you know, once I stop drinking, once I stop smoking, once I stop cussing, once I stop cheating, once I stop, then, then I'll get right with God. No, you come to Christ, and you get right with him, and then he gives you the strength to be able to walk in that new life. You're buried to that old way of life, and you're raised to walk in that new life that we talked about with baptism. Okay? By the way, how can you tell if a person's been born again? There's several marks throughout the Bible, but Jesus gives us some in verses 7 and 8 here. Look again. Don't be amazed that I tell you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, the science of meteorology has come a long way since the first century. But let's be honest. How many of you could actually walk outside right now and tell me what direction the wind is going? Okay, there's a handful of you. But by and large, we've lost that skill. Even like the lick your finger and do this thing, I couldn't tell you what direction that is. I can tell you my finger's wet, right? And we still, even if you're, if you're the most skilled either naturalist or even meteorologist and you can look at all the charts, you know, we still can't predict exactly when a tornado is going to happen. We still can't predict exactly where a hurricane's going to go. That's where there's always that big cone of uncertainty. We still get caught off guard by storms and things like that. There's things about the wind that we just don't understand. And he said, so it is with everybody who's born of the Spirit. Well, does that mean that you've got to just be weird if you're a Christian? Not weird for weirdness sake, but think about everything we have done for the last 39 minutes, Okay? We stood up together and sang songs in the middle of a pandemic. You're here. You could be on the golf course. You could be in your bed. But instead, you chose to come together with a bunch of other people to sing songs. And and if you're a a tough kind of macho guy, some of those songs are kind of flowery, and it's like, eh, it's weird. There were people who got up, and, and we... Spent some money to put some water in a tub and heat it up overnight. And, and then some guy got up there and said something weird about baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and buried with him, baptism, death, raised the walking news to life. And everybody clapped. What is that all about? And in a little bit, we're going to be taking this little tiny cup of juice and this little cracker and, and we're going to say that this is a symbol of Jesus' death on our behalf. Nothing about this makes sense. Like, you know that, right? Unless you have the Spirit of God inside you. And then all of a sudden, it makes sense. All of a sudden, it's different, isn't it? See, when we're sitting here, Romans 8 says it's not going to make sense to you if you don't know Jesus. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. So see, if you're here today and you've been born again, then what happened was you knew that you needed some time to be able to come together and hear from God's word and spend time around God's people. 
You knew that there'd be other people in the room who love Jesus and who are going to celebrate him, whether they're old, whether they're young, whether it's been a great week, whether it's been tragic and difficult. They were going to come together and together we're going to do something corporately that's just not the same when we're alone. There's something that God does in the room when his people gather together. Now, if this room got swept off the face of the planet today, it would be no big deal. We would find somewhere else to meet and we'd continue worshiping the God who's here with us. But when God's people gather, there's an encouragement. There's a challenge. I look at folks that I've known for decades and I see them still faithfully saying that Jesus is worth it. I see young folks who are saying, you know what? I have no idea what I'm gonna do with the rest of my life, but I know that it's gonna involve following Jesus. And as I watch everybody on all ends of the spectrum, I'm challenged and encouraged. I see that God has taken people and they've gone from death to life and now they're right with God and headed for the kingdom of heaven based off of his goodness and his glory and his grace. As I take this little cracker and this little juice, I'm reminded of the fact that there's a God in heaven who loves me so much that he would die and have his body be broken for me and his blood would be shed to pay for all of my sins. Jesus says, if you're walking by the Spirit of God, you're going to do things that don't make sense. So let me ask you, when you say, yeah, I know that I'm born again, what percentage of your week wouldn't make sense to somebody who's not following Jesus? What excuses on your online statement would reflect that you're following Jesus and not just spending your money on yourself? Have you spent your time How have you used your words? How's all that work this week? You see, you and I must be born again. Okay, Sean, I'm convinced. I gotta be born again. I'm gonna show it by acting weird. Got it. Don't be weird just for weirdness sake, okay? I'm weird enough without Jesus, uh, you know. So how do I get born again? How does this happen? Well, the Bible makes it very clear. He's going to say it seven different times in the next few verses. The way that you and I are born again is to believe in the Son. To believe in the Son. Now, a lot of Christians debate on what's going on in the background behind all of this, what God's doing while we're doing this, and what the order is and things like that. I don't, I don't want to get into that this morning. Because here's what I know. However God's working behind the scenes, he's made it very clear that the way to be saved is to believe in his Son. Okay? So look with me here in chapter 3, verse 8. You know, Jesus is talking about the wind and everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is really confused, verse 9. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus? Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied. Now, he keeps going down. Jump down to verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, if you're not familiar with that, we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but God had sent poisonous snakes through the people of Israel's camp when they were out in the wilderness, and God gave Moses this, uh, this design for a golden snake, and he would lift the gold snake up, and when he would lift the snake up, if you looked to the snake, you'd be saved from the bite of the venomous snake, okay? So that's kind of the quick overview. And Jesus said, just like Moses lifted that snake up and people's lives were spared by looking at that snake, In the same kind of way, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, possibly the most quoted verse in all of the Bible. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send us the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Who's the him? Well, Jesus, right? In verses 10 through 18, he uses the term believe at least seven different times. The way to be born again is to believe in Jesus. John states it all throughout his gospel. You see it later in the chapter in John 3.36. He says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. He says similar things in, in John 6.29, John 6.47, and then even in his letters. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who lo- loves the Father also loves the one born of him. So how can you be born again? By believing in the Son. Now, let's explain that. What are we believing first? We're believing that Jesus is God in the flesh. That he came, that he walked among us, that he showed God's power over sickness, over death, over demons, and that as he walked through the earth, he never sinned once. But then we saw that the Pharisees didn't like him. So they decided to have Jesus put to death. They thought they were doing it out of jealousy. But the reality is when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was dying in my place. Because the Bible says that I'm under the wrath of God. I'm condemned to die because of my sin. But Jesus loved me so much that he would come and he would walk among me, not sinning himself, but then take my sin upon himself and die my death. But the great news of the gospel is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Instead, he rose from the dead, and now he has new life that he offers to you and to me in place of my sin and in place of my weakness and in place of my death. He took my death and gives me his life. Do you believe that today? Oh, yeah, sure, Sean. I, yeah, I'm, I believe that. Yeah, I'm good. I got it. All right, I'm going to use an illustration. I've used this one before, but let me hopefully make this a little bit more clear in case you haven't seen it. All right, I'm trying to find a chair. Now I'm going to ask you guys some questions, and some of you guys know the answers to these already, so you feel free to say them loud and proud. They are not trick questions, in fact. When we talk about believing in Jesus, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you believe that this chair exists? Okay, good. See, I told you, not trick questions. They're not that hard. Do you believe that this chair could hold me up? Why is it not holding me up right now? Because I'm not sitting on it. Some of you, this is how you look at Jesus. You believe he exists. You might even believe that he could save you. In fact, you know how you show that sometimes? It's getting a little late in the month and things are looking a little thin. Well, it's a little empty. You say, hey, hey, Jesus, could you come through for me this month? And and you kind of get me through, but then you make it through the end of the month, and you take that back. Maybe, you know, you're, you're headed on a, a trip somewhere, and you're like, hey, God, there's a lot of, a lot of distracted drivers out on the road. Would you, would you keep us safe as we drive? But then you get to your destination, and, and you take that back. That's not believing in him. You can believe that he exists. You can believe that he did all kinds of good things. You're not actually trusting See, Believing in Jesus 
putting my faith and trust in him, it's just like sitting in this chair. Now, if this chair were to break, what would happen to me? I'd fall flat. By the way, I've done this in Zimbabwe on stools that are a lot rickettier than this, and I promise you God has sent an angel to like hold the thing in place. But the reality is this is what we're talking about with belief. I have put all of my faith in this chair to hold me up. Do you understand that? So have you ever done that with Jesus? Now, Jesus is not a chair. He's a person, right? So believing in Jesus is more than just mental assent to a set of facts, and yeah, I just kind of make this commitment. We're talking about coming into a relationship with the God of the universe, but that helps us to see what that looks like. Have you ever come to him in that all-in kind of way, or has it been just a piece at a time? Has it been just a little bit here, a little bit there? That's not believing in the Son, and that's not how you have eternal life. By the way, apart from that, did you see what, what he says? Anyone who believes in the Son is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Guys, that's not me saying that. That's Jesus. If you're not born again, if you've never believed in the Son, then you are condemned before God. But you don't have to be. You don't have to be. That's the hope. That's the good news. That's what we celebrated. That's what we're going to commemorate in just a few minutes. The fact that, that Jesus died in my place so I don't have to be condemned. He took my condemnation. And so when I put my life in his control and say, I don't know what all this looks like. I don't know what all this means. But I know that I'm going to commit everything I have to following you. And he says that we're born again. And we're no longer under that condemnation because Jesus already paid for there is no double jeopardy with God. It's the trial is already done. Jesus paid it. And now you get to walk free. Because as the old song said, Jesus paid it all. You must be born again. The way that you're born again is by believing in the Son. Alex, I'm going to go ahead and skip that next verse. But now if you and I are going to believe in the Son, there's one more aspect of this that Jesus talks about. Part of believing in the Son also means that you and I must come into the light. That's the third thing I want you to see. You must come into the light. Now, remember, when did Nicodemus come to him? At night. Fifteen years ago, I could use the, the joke about Nick at night, but nobody knows what that is anymore because that hasn't been a thing in a while. I'm dating myself. I'm old enough to date myself now. But he says you come... To, Nicodemus comes sleeking through the darkness. Jesus uses that as a picture to say there's more going on here than just the physical darkness. Pick up there in verse 18. We said anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only, one and only Son of God. Verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. You wonder why the world's going crazy? Because our deeds are evil apart from Christ. And they hate the light. 
When Jesus came into the world and started teaching and preaching and demonstrating God's power and showing that even the righteous, like the Pharisees, the ones that everybody thought were right with God, even they needed him and even they weren't right with God. When he started revealing that and he flicked on the lights, they scattered like cockroaches. Somebody used the example of bed bugs. Right? They come out at night, they do their damage, they hide as soon as the light comes out. Apart from Christ, when we see the light of who God is, the light of the world, that's our natural reaction, to hide it, downplay it, ignore it, avoid it. That's why we act the way we do apart from Christ. But that's not the only way to act. Any of you boys out here ever hurt yourself when you were younger and you didn't want to tell your mom? Anybody ever do that? Okay. Yeah, some of you, I'm afraid sometimes that we're helicopter parenting our kids enough that they're not going to have these stories. But those of us who grew up a little bit before that, you did something stupid. Something she told you about a billion times not to do. For me and my brother, it was we had these Nerf swords that had these little targets around the the hilt, and you would poke them, and they would knock the, the targets down. Well, we got a little bit excited doing that. And I lost my footing and slammed my head in the corner of the couch, right? Shh, don't tell mom, don't tell mom, don't tell mom, right? There was a lot of blood, okay? We had to tell mom. Did you ever have, though, that injury that you didn't want to tell mom about? So you rolled your sleeves down so she wouldn't see? Made sure you wore long pants? Why are you wearing long pants in July? Uh, it's cool. Eventually, though, you know, it starts to get gangrenous or whatever, and you're like, I got to show you, Mom. Actually, this is what happened. You brought it out into the light, didn't you? You weren't proud of it. You didn't celebrate. Look what I did. I disobeyed you, and this is what happened. You were exactly right. No, you brought it out in the light because you needed help. When you and I believe in the Son, that's what we're doing. He says that, Everyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. It starts with us coming and saying, God, my life is broken. I can't fix it. I can't do enough good stuff. I can't earn a relationship with you. I I, I can't. I've been hiding and I've been running. But I want to believe in the Son. I'm going to come into the light and it's going to hurt but I need you to take care of it. I can't fix this. And then you know what happens? When we are born again, when when God saves us, when when we come into that relationship with him and we have the spirit of God living in us, now we do things that, like we said, are confusing to those who follow Christ. And by doing that, we show what God's doing in our lives. We show the accomplishment of, of him working in and through us. We give him the praise and the honor and glory. Stephen was doing that in his testimony this morning when when you watched that video and he said as soon as he received Christ, he just was filled with this joy and how God's made his word come alive to him and this excitement that he has. That's an overflow of being in the light and that's something that God can do. So we're giving God the glory for that. That's what we want to do, guys, is give God all the honor and glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, we have this treasure in clay jars 
so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We looked at this passage a while back on a Wednesday night. There is some beautiful truth in that. If you ever had a, a clay jar, you know they're fragile and easy to break. Even before it actually shatters, you might end up with some cracks in it. So if you put a, a light down in it, you would see the cracks. What Paul's saying is the weakness of the glory of God shines through cracked pots, through jars that are frail and broken. Last week, we said that God's power is made perfect in our weakness, right? That his grace is sufficient. So in those moments where we still have frailties, where we're still scared to death, where we're still not sure how we're going to make it or how we're going to obey, in those moments, because we're filled with the Spirit of God, we choose to walk into the light and say, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do today with this. We come into the light, and we live with an expectation that God's going to receive the glory and shine through us. So my question for you is this. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Have you put your belief in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Or have you been hiding from the light? Maybe the reason you needed to be here this morning, or maybe the reason you tuned in to watch this online, was so that you could hear today that you need Jesus, and you need to be born again. By the way, it's interesting. John leaves this open-ended, doesn't he, right here? We don't see Nicodemus saying, Jesus, you're absolutely right. I surrender to you. It's interesting because we see Nicodemus two other times in the gospel. We see him in John chapter 7 as the Pharisees are starting to get really mad at Jesus. He tries to kind of stick up for Jesus, but he still doesn't own that he's actually walking with Jesus. This guy who came to him slinking through in the middle of the night, the last time we see him, is just after Jesus' death. See, in those days, the family would be responsible for embalming the body. Those family and friends would be bearing all the cost, having to do all the work. We know that after Jesus died on the cross, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Here's what John chapter 19 says. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe. Nicodemus was too scared to come see Jesus during the day. We don't know at what point Nicodemus surrendered to Christ, but we find here at his burial, this man who came to him at night is now publicly coming forward to provide the spices to anoint his body. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Jesus had been condemned to die as a criminal. Anybody who would follow him was going to face persecution and ostracization. They were going to be kicked out. They were going to lose all of their influence. And yet, at this moment, after Jesus had died, Nicodemus doesn't seem to have any understanding of the resurrection. The disciples didn't even get that. Yet, he had surrendered to him to the point where he was willing to come forward and publicly say, I'll give you everything you need to be able to make sure that his body is carried. Nicodemus' story appears to end well. And it appears that at some point, Nicodemus took Jesus' words to heart and was born again. Have you? I want you to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes here for just a moment.
If you're here today and you have never made that decision to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to give you just a minute to do that today. By the way, our children are going to be coming in here in just a minute, so if you hear some background noise, they're coming in so that some of them can take Lord's Supper with us and be a part of that. But as you're here this morning, as we're getting ready to commemorate Christ's death through the observance of communion or the Lord's Supper, have you been born again? If not, that's something you can seal and you can settle right here, right now. You can know that you are right with God. How? By believing in his son. By saying, God, I I know that I've sinned and I know that I've fallen short of what you've made me to be. I know that I've messed up, but I know that you love me and I know that you've got a plan and I know that Jesus died for me. So I want to surrender to him whatever it looks like whatever it takes. So my question for you is, are you willing to do that today? You don't need me. You can do it right where you're at. But if you want, I'm gonna give us a moment just to kind of do business with God and and respond to him. So I'll be down front during that time and would love to talk with you about how to find that relationship with Christ and how to follow him. For those of you who know him, we are getting ready to take communion and scripture teaches us to examine our own hearts. Are you living like you're born again? Would I be able to tell by looking at the way you spent your time, the way you talked to your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your roommates, your classmates? Could I tell that you're following Jesus? Is there something you need to confess, something you need to make right with God or even with somebody else before you take the Lord's Supper here in just a moment? I'm gonna give you just a minute. Let me pray for you and then you do business with God. If you need to talk with me or if you wanna pray with me, you're welcome to come down and do that. If not, you do business with God right where you're seated, okay? Father, we're so grateful for the way that you have loved us and the way that you cause us to be born again through belief in your son. If there's anybody in this room They may have even thought they were a Christian their whole life, but just today you've helped them to see that they've never been born again. God, would you draw them to yourself? If there's somebody here who this is the first time they've ever heard any of this, would you allow it to grab a hold of their hearts and draw them to yourself right now? So God, would you give us the strength to respond to you during this moment? For those of us who know you, would you help us to make sure that we're ready to take the Lord's Supper with clean, pure hearts to honor you as we should? So God, meet with us now as we take this moment to respond. Continue there with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you need to talk with me or pray with me, I'll be down front. would love to do that. If not, you do business with God right where you are. And then I'll close this in prayer in just a moment.